Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm Stacy Boy Brogdon. This is Stacy Girl Brogdon, my lovely bride. If you don't know that meaning, get with us later. We'll explain it to you. Uh, we're members here, partners here at, at Old Town, and we're here to give you the scripture reading. Good morning. Today we'll read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, qualifi- qualifications for overseers. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of a full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, church. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Old Town Church and uh, get to talk about pastors today in our, in our passage in First Timothy. A um, couple of quick updates for you um, and, and really just celebrations. One of those is our worship team who normally leads worship up here. Like Chris Brown had to like pinch hit and do it all by himself this morning. And there's been other times that Kathy or Caroline have had to do that. There's just weeks where things are going on and they either can't all be here or not feeling well. And that team leads us so well. So that's just one of those people like, go give them like a hearty handshake or like a fist bump if you're coughing or something. But um, you know, we're just so thankful for, for them and their willingness to, uh, I, trust me, I would not want to sing on a mic by myself. Um, and so I'm so thankful for the way God uses their gifts. Um, and uh, another thing I just want to celebrate is we've had, um, you might not have known this, but uh, you can see with a lot of the kids in here this morning, we have our orange room, which is this really cool, tiny room that's had like 15 kindergarten and first graders in it for weeks on end, more than that. I'm seeing, okay, all the volunteers in there going, no, there's been more than 15. And so, um, so we started praying. We're like, Lord, we, we need more volunteers and we need space to split this room out. And uh, I just want to celebrate like God provided volunteers for us to be able to open up a new room uh, starting next week. And so that's something that legitimately we're like, Lord, you did that because providing a Yes, thank you. Thank you. Let's seriously, like... We should celebrate, like these are things we talk, like we're in a season of prayer right now. Like we talk about praying and God answering prayer. Like that was a prayer we lifted to him and he answered that 
through some of you saying, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to help out with that. And so excited about uh, that. And then just last thing, uh, today is the deadline for our Bangkok mission team. If you want to be a part of actually going uh, to Bangkok this summer, um, I need you to come talk to me today because we're kind of pulling that together and um, would, would love to know who, who wants to be a part of that team. Uh, and I would just bring that as a matter of prayer. Like, you know, uh, just would say to you, like, if you feel the Lord leading you to do that, we we know he will provide the means and the opportunity for you to go. And so um, we're just going to be, be praying about that. But I do need you to come talk to me. Otherwise, you can't go. So um, that's how that works. But this is what I want to do this morning um, is I just want to pray for us as we start. So just join me in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for the kids that are joining us this morning um, that aren't normally in here with us. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. And God, we, as we go through 1 Timothy and honestly just a bunch of other passages today, um, Lord, we, uh, we just ask for your help that we could understand your plan for the church and that uh, you would help us just to understand your word. So help us today, Father. That's your great mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now here's our big idea for today as we continue in 1 Timothy. And the big idea is this, that pastors are leading servants of the church who model the character and leadership of Christ for the glory of God and the good of the church. All right, pastors, this is a long sentence, so just, you know, okay. Pastors are leading servants of the church who model the character and leadership of Christ for the glory of God and the church. And in our, our passage today, uh, you know, we're, we're picking up where we left off last week. Last week, our, our big idea that we talked about was how God had designed his church to flourish and glorify him through proper structure and conduct. That there's a way that God has designed the church to function uh, that's, that's good for its flourishing, that it's good for his glory. And so we walked through some of that last week. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to just keep going in that passage because Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to Timothy, who's pastoring at a church in Ephesus, who was struggling, that church was, with teaching that was not true. There was a teaching that was not actually biblical. And so Paul was like, hey, Timothy, here's the first thing you need to do. We need to address the false teaching. But it's also important that the church is structured in such a way that the church can flourish and that God is glorified. And so uh, one of the things that Paul does in our passage today is he just walks through this list of qualifications of an elder of a church, of an overseer of a church. And so this is what we are going to do today, all right? I'm just like, I am going to do my best to do a crash course on the biblical teaching of pastors, all right? I will not cover all of it by any stretch in this 40 minutes. Like, there's no way we can do that. But I'm just trying to give an overview so that uh, we can see what the Scripture says and so that we as a church can align ourselves with that. So that's the goal, all right? So that's what we're, we're doing today. And so we'll pick up in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And, and the first idea is this, that pastors model the character of Christ. Pastors model the character of Christ. Uh, now, this, this statement should be true of all Christians, all right? That should be true of all of us. That's not just for pastors. We should all aspire to, to model the character of Christ. Uh, but, but the idea of this section in the passage that, that the Brogdon's just read is that the bar is elevated a little bit more for this specific role, that there is a, an expectation that, this, that a pastor's life matches their Christ-like character. 
but it's, it's coming out of them. It's evident in their marriage. It's evident in their home and in the way that they're viewed and respected by people in the church and in the community. And what I want us to notice is that this list that Paul gives us here in 1 Timothy 3 is, is a list of who a pastor should be. It's not a list of what a pastor should do. We'll get to that later on. It's more a list of, hey, this is what a pastor looks like. So I don't know, has anybody ever been to like an art museum before? Like, yeah, show of hands. All right. Uh, has anyone ever... Like, and I'm talking about an art museum where you've got like original works by, you know, just, you know, Picasso, Renoir, and all these people. Has anybody ever been to one of those? Has anyone ever touched one of the paintings? Raise your hand if you've touched one of the paintings. I won't call out any names, but I do know someone who's touched one of the paintings. And uh, you're not supposed to do that. But if you were to touch it, the reason you touch it is you're like, I can see the strokes. Like, I can actually, like, I want to feel that because... That artist that I've read about in books took a paintbrush, did that stroke hundreds of years ago, and I get to see it right here. What Paul's doing in this passage is he's taking a, a brush and he's painting a picture of what a pastor looks like. After this section, we see, we can get a visual image, like this is what a pastor should look like. And, and so that's what we're, we're going through here. And so we're going to just run through these verses uh, real quick. And I'm just going to walk through um, what is a very long list, but I'll try, and, I'll try and kind of draw it together for us. It says this in, in verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, uh, the first thing is that they should aspire to that. It's something that that word means actually to reach out for, that they're, they're trying to grab hold of that, that they're running towards that. Now, uh, we've got to be careful sometimes. You gotta, not everyone should aspire to that. Not everyone should be grabbing at that. Some people are, are wrongly motivated and want uh, power and prestige, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying that this right person, that, that portrait of a pastor, it's something that he's aspiring to, and that task is, is noble. It's, it's, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. But he says that the office of overseer. Now, I want to talk about that word because we at Old Town, we've been using the word elder uh, in this passage or even uh, in other passages we'll read. It's going to use the word elder. If you look in the whole of Scripture, what you're going to see is uh, even this word could be translated bishop. And so you've got all these words that we've probably heard at different churches we've been to over the years you've, you've heard of. And, but basically, just summarizing that, in the New Testament, the term overseer, elder, pastor, bishop, those words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. That as, as this, this picture of a pastor is being painted in the New Testament, uh, that, that the Bible uses those words interchangeably with one another. And so you can, if you say overseer, you're really talking about a pastor. If you're talking about an elder, you're really talking about an overseer. Like they're all used interchangeably. And, and so uh, what I'm going to do just for our purposes today is I'm just going to use the word pastor so that we're not just constantly using a bunch of different words the whole time, all right? So I'm going to use the word pastor as, as I teach through this. And it says there that, that verse 2 an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, that word above reproach is, is, is really the big category that all these other things fall up under, okay? So when you think about being above reproach, what Paul is saying is this person, the, the behavioral conduct of their life should be so evident that these other things are on display. And the idea of, of being above reproach is that there's observable conduct in a person. This person is above being criticized or accused because the conduct of their life displays someone who has displayed moral integrity. So I'll give you an example. 
If someone came up to you, and not all of you know me, and that's fine. Hopefully we can get to know each other well over the years. But for those of you who know me or have been here maybe even a month, uh, if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, I was in a store the other day, and I saw Matthew in the store buying a South Carolina Gamecocks t-shirt. Um, many, just from the laughter in the room, many of you would be like, that can't be true. I know that's not true because I know Matthew, because I know that Matthew loves the Clemson Tigers. I know that he talks about the Clemson Tigers. I know that he knows all about their sports, that he watched the basketball game last night. And I know that Matthew, which was a victory by the way, I know that Matthew loves the Clemson Tigers. I can't believe it's true what you're telling me about him. And that's the idea of being above reproach, that you know something about someone so well that when someone makes a statement or an accusation against them, you're like, that can't, I don't, that just doesn't sound right, all right? And, and so I'm using kind of a funny example with that, but the idea here of a pastor is that they are above reproach. It's not that they're perfect. It's not that they're sinless. It's just that the whole of their life displays someone who has no obvious provable marks against his character. It's someone that you think, yeah, yeah, that's someone that without question, that's a great example of someone who is pursuing to become more and more like Jesus. And so that's what it means to be above reproach. And, and then it says, a husband of one wife. Now, there's a lot of different uh, people think this means a lot of different things. So I'm not going to get into all of the different things that phrase could mean and, and what people think. But I think there is an underlying principle that we can definitely lean into. And it's this, uh, that this person is a, a one-woman man. Um, that, that if they are married, they have been faithful to their spouse. All right. Now, I, I don't think this precludes single men. All right. I think, I think if someone is single, then this, this is not a way of saying you have to be married to be a pastor. I think it's just saying if they are married, this is a man who's been faithful to his one wife and he does not have multiple wives, which I know sounds like, why do you even have to say that? But it actually is important uh, because there are laws currently uh, trying to be passed in our country where it makes uh, polygamy um, a possibility. And so I think the scripture teaches that's not a biblical marriage and that's not uh, true and biblical for pastors. And so uh, that this person, if married, is faithful to his one wife. Um, and that you are looking for a man who's an example to the church in the way that he conducts himself in his marriage. And so you can look at the, the marriage relationship of a pastor and his wife, and it should set an example for the church. And it says, uh, a husband of one wife, sober-minded. All right, this is the idea of someone being like clear-headed, temperate. I think the Brogdon's translation even used the word temperate there, that they're able to show restraint. Um, the opposite of that would be extreme, that they're just really kind of like volatile in either one way or the other. And so a pastor is, is level-headed, not easily swayed by extremes, and they're vigilant and on guard against spiritual laziness and apathy in their own life, that there is a sober-mindedness to that. And it says self-controlled. And some of these words I don't feel like I need to explain. So uh, self-controlled, that a pastor is self-controlled, they're disciplined, sensible, not impulsive. Um, and respectable, that next word, is this, this outward, it's like an outward outcome of what's happening internally. And so if, if someone's viewed as respectable, and many of you are in this room today, like it's because there's something inside of you that is visible to others. And so that's a person who's respectable. And then it uses the word hospitable, which is, I actually really like that this word's in here. Uh, and I think it, it could shape uh, a lot of us, but there's a warmness and a welcoming nature to a pastor uh, that a pastor should pursue to care for others with, with a lack of 
uh, without any judgment, you know, a, a judgment or condemnation, that there's an openness and receiving of all people, that there's a mindfulness of others and loving towards them, that there is a general sort of wel welcoming, hospitable nature to a pastor, that you feel drawn in, not pushed away. Um, and then it says able to teach. Now I'm going to circle back to this phrase in our next point. Uh, so just kind of hold on that one for a second. But I, I think that the characteristics listed before this really play into this because a, a pastor can't be too extreme uh, and, or be over-responsive theologically. He's got to be sober-minded. He's got to be self-controlled, not blown about by every wind of doctrine, but standing firm and cautious and calculated in how they lead the church in doctrine. And so it's actually these, these other characteristics of, of being a, a stable, mature person really play into the able to teach, because it's not just can that person present a good argument, but are they trustworthy in the word? And, and also, this, this particular quality distinguishes this role from the other roles laid out in Scripture. Next week, we'll talk about deacons, and this is not a qualification of a deacon, that being able to teach is not just a characteristic. It's actually a major part of the role of a pastor, but I'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, verse three says, not a drunkard. And again, I think there are certain things it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't feel like I need to explain that one too much. But uh, the idea here is, is just that this person is, um, uh, you know, not given to, to drunkenness, that there's a, a moderation with which they live in their life, that there's these concepts of self-control and sober-mindedness play into uh, if, if uh, a pastor consumes alcohol. Um, uh, one theologian, this is really funny because theologians are real serious people. I'm not a really serious person. And so I read this one quote. I don't know if he was joking, but I thought it was funny. He said this, it's not an accident that able to teach and not a drunkard are side by side because teaching and drinking don't go well together. And I just thought, I don't think he was joking, but I thought it was really funny. Um, but uh, listen, a pastor who can't control his consumption of alcohol or any other intoxicating substances cannot positively reflect the character of Christ to the church. They can't positively lead in that way. And so uh, that's an important aspect of that. Um, it says that they're not violent, but gentle. So I'm, I'm moving on into uh, verse three here, not violent, but gentle, that there's a, a temperament of patience, of compassion, of, of kindness. Again, not being over-responsive in discussions and relationships. Pastors aren't looking to start fights with people, um, not just physically, but intellectually, that there's not this like aggressive nature with which they approach people, that there's not a quarrelsome nature that they live in. They're, they're not quick-tempered, they're composed. They're not passive, but they are peacemakers. They're not looking to start fights or, or arguments. And that's actually what's happening in this church in Ephesus. So it's kind of a big deal that Paul included that in there. And then it says that they're not a lover of money. Um, listen, money buys stuff, okay? We know that. That's the world we live in. Right now, money doesn't buy as much stuff as it used to a couple years ago, right? But it buys possessions. It affords us power. It affords us opportunity. And so to be in love with money is ultimately to be in pursuit of something other than God. Jesus talked about how you can't uh, serve two masters. You can't both love both God and money. And so to be a lover of money is ultimately to be a lover of self, and so someone who's in love with money will generally live with a discontentedness, that they're discontent with what they have, and so they want more. So they want more money so they can get more things. And that can't be true of pastors. They should display a contentedness with the provision. It's a hard word for me to say for some reason, contentedness, with the provision that God has given. So they won't use the church. This is key. So they won't use the church as a means of amassing more wealth for themselves. 
And so I give you full permission, all right? I'll just say this, like, there's no better example of this than in churches that preach the prosperity gospel, where part of the message from those, I'm not going to call them pastors, but those communicators, is that they are saying, hey, if you give us money, then God will bless you. That God's blessing on you is conditional on what you're willing to give to him. And ultimately what ends up happening is those communicators are actually the ones amassing the wealth. They're taking the money for themselves. And so uh, I give you full permission. If you ever see like a picture of my face on the side of a private jet, like you call me out on that. Um, you should have called me out way before we got to the private jet. But, um, you know, this is not, this position is not one for me to use, for pastors to use, to amass wealth for themselves. And so be cautious about pastors who are doing that. Verse 4 and 5 says this, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now remember, these are brushstrokes. We're painting brushstrokes of a portrait of a pastor here. And one of those brushstrokes is that he should manage his own household well. Because if he can't manage his own household, how is he going to actually manage the household of God? The, the Bible has a lot to teach about family dynamics between fathers and their children. And I'm like, it has a lot to teach. And so I'm not going to do all that today because I already have a lot of other things I'm going to teach. But if I could summarize the message of the role of the father in the home is that he's not a domineering tyrant who enforces strict compliance to his rules, exasperating his children into subjection to his authority. That's not the portrait of a godly father. The, the portrait of a godly father is a man who uses his authority to serve his family and lovingly lead his family towards knowing and following Christ. And as he does that, he earns their respect with a lifetime of loving sacrifice and humble leadership. And so I think what you'll find in, in the family of this portrait of a pastor are children who might not even always agree with their father, but they respect their father. That they honor him, even if they don't agree with him. His kids aren't going to be perfect, but are they following his leadership? And so one thing uh, you can look for is just do his children respect him? Because if he can't lead his own family, how will he lead a much larger faith family? If he doesn't have the capacity to lead his own family, how will he have the capacity to lead the family of God? So it's another brushstroke of that pastor. Verse 6 says this, that he's not a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And, and I'll, I'll say this in a different way. You want to look for spiritual maturity over a long period of time. Like you, you want to look for someone who's walked faithfully with the Lord over a long period of time. I mean, if someone's a recent convert, if they've just come to Christ recently, they are on fire and like, I mean, they are just telling everybody about Jesus. That is good and to be celebrated. We don't want to temper that, right? But we also don't want to give someone authority uh, way too quickly. We want to watch over a long period of time. We want to give time for those gifts to come out. We want to watch them. I mean, all of the things that we've just talked about, whether they're sober-minded, self-controlled, a lover of money, whether they lead their family well, like you can't see that in a couple of weeks. You can't see that in a couple of months. You see that over a long period of time. And so we want to be careful with someone because the danger is, is the protection of the church and the protection of that person. Because if someone's not mature in the faith yet and you give them that level of responsibility and that level of care, 
It can either crush them or create arrogance, that they get puffed up and arrogant, conceited, using that position for more glory and more power for themselves and abusing the office for personal glory. So we, we don't want to, a pastor doesn't need to be a recent convert. And it says this in verse 7, it says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And, and this is the, the basic thought that is this person well thought of by non-Christians? We're talking about outsiders, talking about people outside of the church. Uh, do they have a, a negative reputation or a positive reputation with non-believers? I mean, think about Jesus. Like if you think about Jesus and who Jesus hung out with, like tax collectors and all these sinners and prostitutes were like, hey, come to our party. All right. Like that's the kind of life Jesus lived that he had not burned bridges with people who were far from him. He actually created such a relationship that they wanted him around. And I think he's the perfect, Jesus is the perfect example of all these things. But Jesus is that perfect example of being well thought of by outsiders. Like all these people who were doing the very opposite of the things he were teaching were like, could you just hang out with us a little bit more? You know, I think that's a, a, a portrait of what the pastor should be like, that, that uh, he should be well thought of and not ha having alienated himself from non-believers and uh, different things that he does or different things that he says in the life that he lives. And so the uh, pastor should be able to have meaningful, fruitful relationships with people who are far from Christ. They should be in good standing with non-Christians. And so this is like, if I were to summarize all of, all of those verses together, part of the call for you then, church, is to evaluate a pastor, to evaluate someone that you would seek to put in a position as pastor. And so we must evaluate his reputation, his family, his personal integrity, and his motivation. I think that's what these verses are, are, are really getting to, that you're looking at his personal integrity. Is this a person who lives a life of integrity when someone's watching and when they're not, which I know is hard for you to know, but it'll come out eventually. His motivation, why is that person wanting to be a pastor? Are they a new convert? They just, they want sort of power and they want that ability to, to they want influence. Like, are you, is it that? Or have they walked with Christ for a long period of time? Uh, are, they, are they actually aspiring to that office? Is it something that they, that they want and they're working towards and they're, they're reaching out for in a positive and healthy way? You know, you look at their family, look at their, his relationship with his wife, with his kids. And then finally, just his reputation with outsiders. Is this person above reproach? You know, all of these characteristics we just walked through call the church to evaluate the personal integrity, the motivation, the family, and the reputation of a pastor. Now, this is why in verse 1, now I don't know, like, I don't know if right now you've distanced yourself from this list of characteristics. You're like, I don't ever want to be a pastor. I'm a female. I can never be a pastor. I'm a male. I never want that. So you're like, good for those guys. Glad it's not me. Um, but, but I want you, first of all, I think all of us could be uh, challenged to pursue this level of modeling the, Christ, uh, the character of Christ in this way. But I would also say, like, there's a reason why verse 1 exists that someone should aspire to this office because it's a noble task. This is not something that's easy. You don't want someone aspiring to this for the wrong reasons. It's not an opportunity for advancement or to be well thought of. It's not an opportunity to gain power or control. The, the office of pastor is a call to lay your life down for the church. It's a call to sacrifice. It's a call to be scrutinized. It's called to be evaluated. It's called to an extreme level of accountability. 
And so church, this is something I would ask of you. Pray for your pastors. Just teaching through that, I, as I studied this this week, I was like, I need to resign, like immediately. I, I, this is not, like when that picture got painted, I don't look like that, like we look very different, right? It is a challenge to me as I walk through this as a pastor this week, just to, in humility, bring myself before the word of the Lord and say, God, I, I need your help in these areas. I need to grow in these areas. I, 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 I can only see what I'm not. And, and graciously, the Lord is like, no, 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 no. I've called you to this and I'm equipping you for this. But I'm just, I'm asking you as a church, pray for your pastors. Pray for us as we try and lead out in a pursuit of modeling this kind of character to our faith family. So pastors model the character of Christ. Point number two, pastors model the leadership of Christ. Now, I'm going to pull one over on you here. We're about to flip through the whole Bible, okay? Um, right now, we're going to go to Acts chapter 20. It's a couple chapters, a couple books back. Um, it's right before the book of Romans. In Acts chapter 20, this, this is what happens. We've talked about who a pastor is. We've painted the picture of a pastor, all right? So if you've got like the picture, that portrait of a pastor with those brush strokes from 1 Timothy 3, now what I'm going to do is give you like the job description of a pastor as quickly as I can uh, with a, a quick overview of the scripture. We're going to talk about what a pastor does. And in, in Acts chapter 20, I think we get a little bit of a glimpse of that. Now, this is what I love about this passage. It's a, it's, this is a couple verses from a larger passage. And Paul had been going around preaching the gospel, starting churches, telling the people in those cities, you need to appoint elders in each city that I've planted these churches in. And then this is towards the end of Paul's ministry. And Paul says, I want you to call the elders from Ephesus to me. So he calls this meeting with the elders from Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is the, the city that Timothy was the pastor in, okay? So we can make those connections here. So Paul calls the elders of Ephesus to him and imparts these sort of last words. Part of this speech he gives them is like, you're not going to see me again. This is the last time we're going to see each other. The end of this passage is so precious because all of these men gather around him and they weep and they pray for one another. It's really a beautiful passage. We're not going to read all the beautiful parts though. I just have a couple of verses I'm going to read this morning, but I want to give you the context of it. So Paul calls them all together and he says this in verse 28, pay careful attention. He's talking to the elders of the church, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church and of, of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul calls the elders first, pay careful attention to yourselves. There's a warning first for them, but also a charge to pay careful attention to the flock. And he says that the Holy Spirit made you overseers of. I want to be really clear here. It is the Holy Spirit that appoints pastors to churches. It is the Holy Spirit who raises those men up and sends them to where God has this whole, I don't know what it looks like. I think of it as like this big, like subway bus chart or like the air traffic controllers chart where it's like, I'm going to go over here to this city to that. I feel like the Lord is up there. Like I want a church here. I'm going to send that guy and that guy, boom, over there. All right. That's how I, that's how I feel like it works, right? Like, because God actually talks about 
pastors is a gift that he gives to the church. And so it's something that the Holy Spirit establishes and gives to the church. And, and he says, the church, and, and I just, we can't, which he obtained with his own blood. Church, I just want to make clear. If we don't talk about this the rest of the, the morning, we just got to make this clear. It is by the sacrificial blood of Jesus that we've been forgiven of our sin, welcomed into the family of God, and made part of a faith family. That Jesus made that possible for us. And the charge to these elders, he says, is to care for the church of God. All right, that church is God's. The flock is his. The sheep are his. But I want you to care for the church. Now, that word care, when you take the Greek and you study it a little bit, means to shepherd. He's talking about shepherding. So if you could just think about a dude in the middle of a field with a staff and like the things that you wore, like the Christmas programs with the long thing, like think of a shepherd in the middle of a field with a bunch of sheep and it's smelly and it smells like dew and grass and your feet are soggy and wet and there's sheep everywhere. Ah, I don't know if that's, that was my best sheep. That wasn't, no, I didn't get approval on that one. So um, to care is to shepherd, to shepherd the flock, the role of a pastor is a shepherd. That root word for pastor, when you study its etymology, is to shepherd. To pastor is to shepherd. Pastors are shepherds of the flock of God, and the members of the church are the sheep that they care for. This is how God has designed this and established it. And so just, if I could, as shepherds, pastors lead, feed, and protect the sheep. That's, that's the primary role. That's the primary job responsibility of the pastor. There's a lot of other things I can include in this, but I try to just keep it uh, at a high level. They lead, feed, and protect the sheep. Now we saw here in Acts 20 that part of the role of shepherds is to protect the flock from the wolves that are coming. So protection is one of those roles. A pastor, we talked about this last week, he puts himself in between the sheep and the wolves. That he goes out in front, he sees the wolves from a distance. He's paying careful attention to the flock and he's watching out for the wolves. And when the wolves come, he puts himself in between the wolves and the sheep. And one of the attacks on the sheep is in their doctrine. It's in their beliefs. It's in what they believe that the word of the Lord teaches. That's what was happening in Ephesus. There was false teaching. There was false doctrine being spread among the thing. And so, so Paul had called Timothy, hey, you got to step into that. But one of the ways that, that shepherds protect the sheep from false teaching is through sound teaching. You protect from false doctrine with sound doctrine. So that's how a shepherd feeds the sheep. He leads them to the buffet of God's word, to feast on all that's here, all of God's perfect and good word. The shepherds lead, and that's why they need to be able to teach. That's why it's a qualification of a pastor to be able to teach the word of God. Because teaching will be one of his primary means of feeding and protecting the sheep at the same time. And as I think about that, like able to teach, what does it mean for a pastor to teach? Titus 1.9 gives us a really good picture of what that means. He says this in Titus 1.9, he must, this is the pastor, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word that was taught so that, so this is what he does with it, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. And so this is for a pastor to teach, to be able to teach his role as a teacher, this is what it is. It's twofold. First, to be able to instruct in sound doctrine. He's feeding, he's giving. What I'm trying to do this morning, 
whether or not you care about what a pastor is and what he looks like. I'm just trying to say, this is what God's word says. And so this is a primary means by which a pastor feeds the sheep, but it also says he's got to be able to contradict uh, false doctrine. That's a way that he protects the sheep is by saying, this is true, that is not. And so a pastor is protecting the church from teaching that's not true and false that would come in. He's rebuking those who contradict it. And as we said earlier, the pastor must be trustworthy in how he handles God's word because one of his primary tasks, one of my primary tasks is in feeding the sheep through the proclamation of God's word in the gathered church, in this setting, in small groups, when we have meetings, that I am someone, and this terrifies me to say this, I hate when I talk about myself. I'm fine talking about pastors. I want to talk about me, but this is the reality. That I'm someone you can trust to handle God's word. I might not always be perfect, but that there's a trust in the way that I'm going to study this, that I'm going to seek to, to understand it and seek to communicate that in this gathering, in other gatherings, in all meetings, in counseling sessions, and whatever, that there is a trustworthiness in which the pastors walk with the word of God. A pastor feeds and protects the church, but he also leads the direction of the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. 1 Peter's a little closer to the end. Give me a minute while I turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5, this is Peter uh, writing a letter here, and he's talking in this section about the pastors of the church. He says this in verse 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the charge that Peter gives. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Part of the charge that Peter gives to pastors is to shepherd the flock of God. He says exercising oversight, that there's an oversight that is part of that. And he, not under compulsion, but willingly, not under shameful gain, but ego. This sounds like 1 Timothy 3, right? Peter here is giving some of those same characteristics of what a pastor is, not domineering, but by being examples that the pastor's authority is not one to use to domineer, but one in which he leads by example to the congregation. And there's a, a reminder in this verse, this is the flock of God, these are God's people, but the pastor is to lead them in exercise oversight. Pastors are tasked with the care and oversight of the flock of God. And it's an oversight that they exercise. It's an active oversight. It's a leadership. It's a saying, this is where we are heading. This is where the Lord is leading us as a faith family. And the thing that we have to remember is that this passage points to is that the leadership of Christ is one that lays, one's down, lays oneself down for the ones that they're serving. Like I was talking about a pastor modeling the leadership of Christ. Like what did Christ do? He, he laid himself down. He gave himself up so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be counted as righteous, so that we could be brought into the family of God. And so pastors are leading servants who willingly sacrifice themselves for the good of the sheep, not for their own gain, but so that the sheep are following Christ, who is the chief shepherd. 
And so they model the character of Christ, they model the leadership of Christ. And then I have, this is like a bonus point I just want to throw in at the end here. So we painted the picture, and we've given the job description, real overview. Uh, but I, I, this needs to be said, pastors are submitted to the authority of Christ. This is, this is one of the most significant things to make this whole framework healthy. That if, that if there's not a submission of the pastors to the authority of Christ, then the pastors then can lead the church in a way that gives them glory. But ultimately, if they're submitted to the authority of Christ and it's for the good of the church, the health of the church, and the glory of God. And so they are, one day, will give an account to the chief shepherd of how they fulfilled their role. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your, this is to the church, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls, that's the, the pastoral oversight, as those who will give an account. This is, as we have talked about, like this is one of the most terrifying things that I can think about as a pastor. That ultimately I will give an account for how I shepherded the flock of God. In Ezekiel 34, verse 7 through 10, I'm going Old Testament here, all right? Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10. There's this really cool, the idea of shepherding and pastoring is all throughout the whole Bible. It's not just in the New Testament. God talked about David as a shepherd. He talked about Moses as a shepherd. He talked about the, the, the chief shepherd that was to come. He was constantly talking about shepherds. And so in Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10, there's this indictment on the leaders of Israel who were not shepherding the flock. It's a condemnation of the leaders of Israel. And he says this in verses 7 through 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. That's always scary when the Lord's talking to people like that. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey. That means they're not being protected. They're being attacked. And my sheep have become food for the wild beasts. And since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Hey, listen, there is... The pastors of the church are submitted to the authority of Christ. We answer to him. We will give an account to him for how we have shepherded the flock of God. Ultimately, Christ is the head of the church. And through the Holy Spirit, he appoints pastors to local churches to serve as shepherds of those flocks who belong to God. Now, what do you do with that? Like, there's part of you that's probably like, that was cool. So pastors, great. You know, that's, I've, I've had pastors at every church I went to. What do we do with this? So this is, I want to just give a practical, a couple of practical ways that you could apply this passage today. First, and this is probably the one that's most important to me. With all of the different experiences you've had of unbiblical leadership in your life, and I'm not saying just at churches, I'm just saying like anywhere. Like you've experienced abuse in leadership. You've experienced manipulative leaders. You've experienced leadership that just doesn't model who Jesus is. We just want you to see how God designed it. 
Not even how, how we're functioning now. Like, don't, I'm not holding up Old Town. It's like, this is how it looks, everyone. Just do everything we're doing. Like, no, 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 this is not, we're not there yet. But with that picture in mind, we want you to be intentional about the type of church you go to. We want you to know what it should look like and what you should be looking for in a church. Here's the reality. I would love for all of y'all to be part of our life for our whole life. Like we can just keep doing this until all of us pass away one day. But the reality of it is some of you are going to move. Some of you are going to go away. There's going to be different things that take you different places. And you're going to go to different cities and different parts of town. And you're going to be looking for a church. This is my hope for you, that you would come to the word of God. And you would say, this is what a pastor should look like. This is how a church should be structured. If you're going to submit yourself to an authority, make sure you know who you're submitting yourself to. And so if, if that, that portrait of a, pa a pastor that we painted earlier, that Paul painted in 1 Timothy 3, I want you to go into a church looking for that, not being super judgy, all right? They're not perfect, all right? But I, my desire for you is that you would flourish in healthy churches for the rest of your life and that you would be a part of creating those healthy churches that you can flourish in. And so if you are called to obey and submit to pastors of a church, then be very careful whose authority you're willing to put yourself under. Second, we want you to know that we are pursuing this biblical model of leadership here at OTC. Like we're not there yet. Uh, we're, we're working on it. We want to grow to be, the pastors want to grow to be these things. We want the structure of the church to reflect what the Bible teaches. And so I'm going to throw a graphic up on the screen. And, and before I get to the graphic, I'll just say this. Old Town Church is a Jesus-ruled, elder-led, deacon-served, and congregationally-driven church. Okay? This is a structure that we believe is biblical. That we're Jesus-ruled, elder, or pastor-led, sorry, pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregationally driven. So, so for clarity for us, like our pastors, there's multiple pastors. We believe that's a biblical model. Every time the word pastor was used in scripture, it was plural. It was a pluralized uh, thing. When, when Paul called for the pastors of the church in Ephesus, like there's multiple pastors. And our pastors are not a board of trustees. We're not CEOs. Like we're not looking, I'll say this, as we think about that portrait of a pastor, it's not like who is a great businessman. Like, if you are a great businessman, man, that is awesome. Thrive well in that and do it for the glory of God. That does not qualify someone. If you can lead a company, it doesn't make you a good pastor. All right, we have the portrait of a pastor here. And so the pastors of Old Town Church is not a CEO board. We should, we should be able to lead well. We need to grow in that. But it's ultimately about that humble servant leader. They're shepherds. And, and also, I, I would say this, that uh, I'm not going to talk much about deacons today. So it says that we're Jesus ruled because he's the head of the church. We're pastor led. It's what we talked about today. Deacon served. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, Sean's going to come teach about what the Bible teaches about deacons and who can be a deacon and how that functions in the life of the church. We don't have that here yet. We don't have deacons here yet. So this is like our, we're in pursuit of the biblical model. We don't have it yet. So I'm just letting you know, I don't want you to think I'm lying to you. We just want to get there one day. We're not there yet. Um, and we're congregationally driven. You know one of the reasons we don't have deacons yet? Because it's not in our bylaws. We don't have it in our bylaws. And you know who, who gets to change the bylaws? Our congregation, the members of the church. So as a pastor, I can't just go in there and like rewrite it and be like, hey, this is what we're doing this week. Can't do that. There are certain things that the congregation actually has, ultimately, we're, we're, we, are, we are driven by the congregation of the church. 
And so I can't just commandeer stuff and do whatever I want. Like the, the members of our church have that authority and right to change the bylaws. So we can't actually have deacons in our church until our members say, yes, we believe that's a biblical model. Let's do that. And, and so this is, this is part of us just submitting ourselves to the scriptures. And so we have membership here that we're congregationally driven. I will say this until the day I stop being pastor here. I can do this every Sunday. I can get in front of the mic and be like, hey, this is what I think God's word teaches. Old Town Church is going to be who it is and it is who it is now because of you. Like I can talk about this all day, but if we are not in pursuit of Christ during the week, like we, Old Town Church will be who we are because of you. We are congregationally driven as a church. And within that, as this gathering of people, we have membership. We have a process by which people can be partners. We call them partners of our church. And if you want to learn more about that, I can tell you about how to become a partner at Old Town Church. But we take it seriously. And, and because ultimately the partners are the ones who can change the bylaws and they hire the pastors and affirm. I mean, they're the ones who say, yes, that person's a pastor. So anyway, that's just a, a little bit. So I have a diagram up here. You can't see it probably. It's too small, right? You need a magnifying glass. Uh, it's not the, the person who designed this is not their fault. It's just, it works good on a computer screen. It doesn't show well in here. But this is part of what, if I could, I wish I had like a laser pointer. Um, at the very top, the top block, it's, it says Jesus, all right, because he's the head of the church where Jesus ruled. The block, the blue block under that, it says pastors, whether they're staff pastors or lay pastors. Um, we're pastor led. So Jesus ruled, pastor led. And then we have what we call covenant partners. We're congregationally driven. But the block over to the side over there says deacons. You know, maybe I'll send this out. It's really hard to see. But the idea is this, is that there's a structure. And we believe it's, it's a biblical structure. We believe God designed it that way. And here's the thing I want you to know about the structure. And it functions a little bit like our government. I, don't, I want to be careful making that comparison. But there, there is checks and balances to leadership. That there is ultimately a check and a balance to how the pastors are able to lead uh, ultimately for the good of the church. And it's a beautiful design, and we believe it's one uh, that God laid out in the scripture. So big idea, back to our big idea. Pastors are leading servants of the church who model the character and leadership of Christ for the glory of God and the good of the church. Listen, this is what I get excited about. Pastors, guys like me, we're just really imperfect shadows of the chief shepherd. Like we're just this little glimpse of what one day the chief shepherd's going to come back. Like Jesus is going to come back. He's going to gather his people and the, like one day we will be able to say for all of eternity, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And that's a beautiful day that we can all look forward to. And so church, let me pray for you this morning as we respond to the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you and I just ask that you would help us. This is kind of a, a this teaching today is... Um, almost maybe feels less personal. And Lord, at the same time, it's so significant. And so God, I just pray that you would do a work in us as a faith family, that you would unite us, but also Lord, cause us to desire you more and more, even as we think about who our chief shepherd is, the one who cares, the one who leads, the one who leads us beside still waters. God, we praise you for your perfect shepherding of us. It's your great mighty name we pray. Amen.